Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Jaime Gabriel Ragosa, your host, and I am so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the inner unicorn in you. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have a very special individual who followed a career in the life sciences sales industry, received his BA in speech communication, and came out on a radio show, Contemporary Healthcare, from 2014 to 2016. After living with his wife with mental illness for about 30 years, he wrote a book about his life transitions and how he returned to single life after his wife's passing in his 50s. All of this was in his book, I Miss. So now, without further ado, I welcome Alan Prell. Thank you very much. I'm very grateful to be on your show. Of course, and thank you for making the time to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and what came, how it came to be? My book it was a journal more than anything else in a storytelling. When I met my wife initially, my first wife, she took me aside one day during our courtship period, if you will, and she explained to me that she had mental illness, she had bipolar disease. At that time, I was not aware. I was not really following what she was saying. And over the years, I began to learn and understand through our relationship what mental illness was, how bipolar works, how it affects the individual. It was a roller coaster ride throughout our period, our, our relationship. She was diagnosed many years later, about 15 years later into our relationship with Cushing's disease. And I had to understand what Cushing's disease was, which is a, a tumor in the pituitary gland. We're not going to get into much details, but it's basically a slow progressive disease similar to cancer, which eventually does lead to a person's death, multiple disease states. After my wife's passing, I started to explore dating again in my 50s. And my children, who are now adults, asked me, how could you possibly start thinking about dating after mom's passing after 30 years. And that is where the book's title came from because I miss hugs, kisses, and conversation. And if I could fill that void, and it is my journey through that discovery of dating sites, going to bars, just going to places of interest, and maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally meeting another person that have similar interests or not, because sometimes opposites attract into to courtship, meeting my current wife, what we went through in the process of moving in together. And hence, since I'm between projects, she and now euphemistically said, my current wife said, why don't you chronicle what you did, how you developed your relationship with your wife through mental illness, the passing, and how we met. And it ended up being an excellent story and sharing with the community. And if I can solve problems for other people through what they might be struggling with mental illness and or the bumps and bruises along the way to find a new partner in life, that is what I hope to accomplish with this book. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of the guests that come on here talk about their own experience with mental illness, anxiety, depression, or any other things that they're personally going through. You're coming in a very unique perspective. How was it living with someone with mental illness and how did it affect your persona? Good question. And I think it does. As you said, there's a difference between living with it itself, yourself directly and observing somebody 
to begin with, I think people have to understand no matter what the mental illness is, there's multiple stages. And as time went on, she was normal, but our hospitalizations went from every three or four years to every month to every few weeks. And what you find out is the sensitivity, the degradation of the mindset, the medications. If you're into medications as I'm a pharmaceutical representative, you realize that there's binding sites throughout the body, but specifically in this case in the brain and how those binding sites burn out over years. So as I would describe it as there was a breakdown in what was considered to be efficacious medicine, adjusting the dosage, adjusting the time frequency when it was taken during the day, during the evening, what the expectations were. And what was a key factor for me, which I can only express as a mind opening, I would often get conversation calls from my relatives and friends and neighbors. Your wife called me. We spoke for three hours today. You need to seek some type of counseling or help to get her readjusted because she's crazy or she needs help or I can't do this. I'm going to break off our relationship. So you see the friendships that were built over the years slowly dwindling away as she just wore them out. And I don't think that people who live with this recognize how it affects the family. And I think that that's another takeaway from I missed was how it affects the family directly or indirectly. As one who is with that person, married with that person is completely different because you love them. You knew them before and after the illness versus friends and family extended family, they may not understand or want to put up with that same type of like change because for them, they still view them how they knew them. And it's a huge disparity of them now and before. And I think for some, unfortunately, like you said, the relationships dwindle and people can't handle it because they want to keep that image of how they used to be and not how they are now. That is correct. When we first met, and this is interesting, we met at a synagogue Neither one of us were deeply religious in our faith. A friend of ours who briefly introduced me and two other friends, and I took an interest to my wife, Linda, at the time, or my girlfriend, Linda, at the time. We started off at a university, and what you'll find out about the mental illness community overall is most of them are very bright, very quick-witted. And when we first started, she said, what are you doing today? As I had exited a class, and I said, I'm going to be doing a homework assignment, looking at multiple books, footnotes. And she, I went into another class that was three hours long, came out, and there was the five books bibliographied out and all footnoted out overall. And so we went out on our first date at that point. But my point was this took, went on for a long time. She enjoyed studying. She enjoyed reading. Reading a book within a few hours was simple because they just see things different. People with mental illness, regardless of what type of mental illness, often are very bright. It's unfortunate that there is this chemistry that takes over, but they're usually very quick and very smart and considered to be, in some cases, geniuses in music and in computer and engineering and other mindsets. I agree. And I think that's one misconception that a lot of people think is that because someone has a mental illness, it takes away from everything else that they used to have or that they have. It doesn't make them developmentally delayed. It doesn't take away their knowledge that they've gained over the years. If anything... It, their brain adapted having this mental illness. So they strengthen in other areas of their life to make them, I think, cope and survive. And I've worked in the mental health industry for the past 11 years. And I've met people with doctorate degrees with schizophrenia. I've had people who are motivational speakers who are bipolar, individuals who 
just have severe depression yet are doing things that the average individual wouldn't be able to do. So I think having that stigma of they can't do or they're lesser than, we need to get rid of that. I think it's the culture. And I'll say that because if you think about it, Hollywood overall, there's so many varieties and different cultures and different personalities melted into a 60 square mile community. And to your point, because I've been in the life science industry, studying diabetes, pain management, et cetera, and a lot of things that happen to be with the mind and neurons, et cetera, not going to go down that path necessarily. But what I've discovered is people are wired in a certain way. Some people will say math is so simple. Others will say engineering and math just goes together. Music and math go together. So I'm always very intrigued when somebody says, admits I've got a chemical imbalance. Okay. Dive further into that. I'm bipolar, whatever. What does that mean? I could be up for days, but the music, I play instruments and the music that comes out of me, or I'm a writer, I'm an author and the books and the characters that I develop in my mania state, you can go down the road. I love it. But I find people who are wired in a certain way, personally and wired for sales. I love engaging people, learning from people. And that is why I think our marriage worked with my first wife is that we were always engaged. We were always trying to learn something new and get something from people we met. And I think that's what strengthened our relationship at the time. I love that. And each person is different, like you said, mental illness or not, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and just being able to acknowledge that and seeing how can we work together as a unit to complement each other. And that's in every relationship, regardless of what other barriers may be. We're in agreement. <laughs> so I know we've talked, the whole premise of this season is transitions. And we talked about a big transition of you going from being in love with this individual for a long period of time, and then she's no longer there. And that's like a huge transition. And like you said, going back into the dating scene is not, it wasn't the same 50 years ago as it was today, as it is now. So how was that transition and how, what skills did you use to cope with it and then get through it to actually finding your spouse now? That's a great question. And I think it's going to be individuals are all different. I give it two different mindsets. One is I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. And for me, meeting people is not very complicated. But I also get a little bit detailed and what I would call a little bit prejudiced in my own mind. I'm not a person who likes a lot of makeup, although I realize that women put it on in order for attraction. On the flip side of that, guys like beer, in some cases, wine, they're losing their hair. We all have to see each other for our individual weaknesses and strengths. So in this book, I came up with what I call deal makers and deal breakers. And it's somewhat of a fun game in my mind. If I saw somebody, for instance, at a nursery, I would say, okay, they've got clean shoes, clean shirt, but they're checking out the soil. They're looking at the plants, examining it. In my mind, and I gave this as an example, the person with the clean shoes and the clean shirt and everything else, they have a mindset of, I love plants as I would, but I would not choose to date them because to me, they're a clean freak in some cases, at least in my mind, I walk away. But if I saw somebody with dirty pants, dirty shoes, hair up, I have, I think, okay, here's a person who doesn't mind getting dirty. Here's a person who might like to go hiking. Here's a person who doesn't have to put makeup on necessarily, or at least every day. That's the person I would approach and start a conversation one way or the other. So I'm that way. On the flip side of that, a friend of mine, uh, his brother lost his wife when the kids were, I think it was three and five. 
And he is very much an introvert, more of a computer person, engineering minded. And I've asked him beforehand in a conversation, why have you remained single? And his comment was similar. He goes, I'm not an extrovert like you. I look at a woman from far away and I wonder if she likes music, if she likes plays, but how do you start a conversation? What do you do? What do you see? You don't just come up and go, hi, I'm, who are you? Theoretically, you could. I think everyone has to find their comfort zone. And in mine, it was not to go out dating. It was more of a, just to meet people and understand and just go through the checklist, visually seeing them. I may ask them a question, introduce myself and listen to how they speak. And that's another portion of the book I go into. It's not analytical. It's just curiosity. Are they educated? Are, how do they talk? What's their accent? Where are they from? There's so much about people. Every person tells a story. We have the Rod Stewart song. Every picture tells a story. Every person does have a story. And hence, that's where I began my relationship is to just learn from people and to find out if I could find somebody that I connected with in one way or the other. I like that. And that goes really, I, I like that detail that you said that you're in a nursery and you're looking at these small little minute details that people wouldn't even notice, but do say a lot about people's character. So if you're in a nursery and I do a lot of gardening, so I'm consistently hands in the dirt, getting messy. And then sometimes like I need something from the nursery. I need to run out. So I don't think about let me change and clean up and yep. go out there. So you'll see me with dirt, scuffed shoes, and sometimes <laughs> they're underneath my fingernails as I'm there because I'm not really concerned about, oh, my appearance at that point, I just need to get to the store and come back. So it does tell you a little bit about a person's personality, just the way that they go out and about in their day to day. So I think having those small little details helps a lot with networking and dating as well, where you're, do I really want to associate myself with this person Do you, based on my personality and what I can notice based on how they are right now. So I think that's a very good way of thinking. Yeah, I think that not everybody thinks that way. And I'm not encouraging people to think that way. But when I got into the dating scene, the one thing I was noticing more than anything else is how do you separate people on websites? Their answer is you don't. Most people are going to put it forth. I spoke with women about this and they say, what's this shirtless thing? And then they're showing a fish up on a line or they're showing them next to an elk that they just shot and they're all smiley. Just what are you trying to tell? <laughs> and I said, on my end, I would look at a picture of a person with a horse, maybe on a ranch. And I would recognize, and I put this in my book, that they have a horse. That means they like, who knows what, they have a ranch or where they live on a little farm. And now they're very much into a horse, which is very expensive to feed and maintain and a lot of time consuming for any kind of equestrian. So now I'm realizing, where do I come in if they're a grandparent? Do I come in after the horse or after the grandchildren or after their children? Or where do I fall into their life if we decided to make a connection? And the answer is you don't fall into anything recent. You fall at the very end of the line. So that's what I realized. They have a lot of things taking up their time. And I probably am not going to be their priority in life for a while. So that's something else that I also considered when I was looking. It's such an interesting perspective, especially in today's dating world. A lot of people are just swiping based on facial features or do they match my idea of attractiveness? And they don't really take a time to read the profile, like looking through each picture and seeing 
the backstory of each picture, which you're like painting a picture of so much. I think we take things at face value and we do need to take a break, stop trying to get instant gratification and really analyze certain situations because I think that's what will give us more authentic connections with people, not only in romantic, but also platonic relationships because we actually take the time to paint the big picture like you do right now. I think you're right. And the other thing that I was thinking about, and as we're t- discussing this, is the deal breakers. I noticed on web pages or dating sites of various types that well, you should come up with deal breakers. They don't necessarily come up with the deal makers. They'll say, don't be, I like, don't like, if you are this person, swipe to the right or left or whatever the case may be. And instead of saying what I would look like, what I am searching for, what I hope to find, they usually take it from the negative first because they're trying to get rid of the deal breakers. Instead, I was the, always the opposite and simply saying, if you like, if you enjoy, if you have a good time doing, and th- that's basically what it came down to. I'm not a drinker, but I'm not opposed to people who drink, but that means usually I would not be found in a pub or a bar, but to my surprise, that's where I found my current way. And it was just a fluke. And I approached the bartender, not anybody specific in the bar, but the bartender themselves. You, you never know. And it's not fair to predict or to try to predict. And that's a very unique perspective. And I like that. Kind of flipping the script a little bit and thinking, what do I want versus what I don't want? And we are always wired to look at the negative. So I think by changing that perspective, it does give you a different viewpoint and even some advantages over people who are just looking at the negative. I I did a comedy sketch for a Toastmasters meeting, and I jokingly said, for guys, I said, Raquel Welsh, Vera Fawcett, they're out of your league, so don't even look. And women, just letting you know, Robert Redford is taken, and Fabio is out of your league. So yes, men, they're going to have a little podge because they had children. They're going to be losing their hair because of hormones. And girls, yes, they're going to be losing their hair, and they're going to have a podge too because they like beer. So that's just get used to it because that's what we get in our older age as we grow a little bit more senior. <laughs> no, yeah. And looks fade, but personality is the one that you have to be married to and want to actually be around since that's not going to really change too much. But let's say you had someone in the same situation who is recently single, who's listening to this and they're going through that transition. What piece of advice would you give them so that to help them go through that period in their life. There's a saying that I think you mentioned this in one of your questions is what has changed my life and what phrase I heard from a movie many years ago in the seventies is all the worrying in the world isn't going to change a thing. So to begin with, I would say is don't worry, stop worrying. What am I going to do? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to find next? Just live life and know that everywhere you go, Regardless of doing our daily life, the moment you walk out your door, there could be a neighbor that you just didn't realize or recognize. A friend of mine passed away and his wife was a widower now, or widow, and she called me up one day and said, would you like to get together for dinner? Just in instances like that, you go to the grocery store, you go up and down an aisle, you may be looking for someone. There's no reason why you can't approach somebody and say, by the way, I'm new to this. I haven't shopped in a long time. My wife passed away. And somebody may say, my husband passed away recently. We have something in common here. may not be the most bad, but that's a connection. You like music, go into concerts, plays, coffee shops. It's endless. Just keep an open mind of who's around you. 
And don't be intimidated. We find out that in high school and college, most people are intimidated to do public speaking. Why? The simple reason is we think we're being judged by what we say and what we look like and how we present ourselves. And that's where the intimidation comes in. It's not what we're saying necessarily, it's to whom we're saying it to. Most men, even at the senior years, are intimidated to approach a woman and thinking, how am I going to say it? The prettier they are and everyone sees beauty in a different way, that's how we're wired. Everybody sees things different and women are no different. I find out that women are just as intimidated to approach a man. Men like to be approached the same as women like to be approached. And I think that we have to get through this. What are they thinking? What's the intimidation? What I'm scared. What am I going to say? How about hello? (laughs) My name is the worst that they can say is I'm married. Okay. Why? That's okay. We're good. We need to get those automatic negative thoughts outside of our head because Half of the time, people are too worried in their own space to be worried about you. And yes, you may embarrass yourself for a few seconds, but that's only a few seconds in their life. Tomorrow, they might not remember you. The next week, they may not remember you. You're not going to leave a big weight in that person's life if it doesn't work out. You just have to keep putting yourself out there, get used to the rejection, get used to the no's, the awkwardness. And each time you're going to learn something new about yourself of what went well, what didn't go well, what worked, and how can you adapt to be better the next time. You have to be open to just create a connection because if you're going in there saying, I want you to be my wife, I want you to be my husband, it's not going to always come out that way. Sometimes you could be missing out on opportunity of a very good friendship or a very good connection with someone that could have lasted a long time, but because you were so narrow-minded in that one single goal that you weren't open to any other possibilities at the time. And I think like you just said, crash and burn is easy in sales and I'm used to it. But when it comes to relationships, I think that people just say, that didn't work out. I'm not going to ask another person out. When it comes to job hunting, you go after the next one, you know, you're not going to get it. The next one. Relationship building is just that. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship. It's a long term. It's a growing process. And the more you learn about one another in the back of the book, I have questions to ask people as an icebreaker, if you will. And one of them is, how did you meet your best friend? And that leads to a very good wide conversation of really, if I were your best friend, you could say we met at, but how did you meet your best friend? What do you like collecting? Not so much what your hobbies are, but what is it you like collecting and how did that start? And what do you have to show for it over the years? I think that these are questions that get to the heart of what people do. Yeah. And those are very good conversation starters versus how's the weather today? Or what are you doing? (laughs) Well, if you can go back in time and with the knowledge you have now and and give yourself a piece of advice that would change your life exponentially, what advice would you give yourself? I worked in an ER for 10 years when I was in my twenties. It was a great growing experience. It was a great maturing experience. And when I saw people in the ER, one thing I did recognize is not everybody understood the ramifications of what they did. When we're younger, we take hikes, we go motorcycling or whatever. We jump off of bridges with bungee cords. But one thing I would say is know what you're doing today could have ramifications down the road. Understand that what you knew today as an adult, what did people do back when that still is with them? That still, some people say it was a good thing. 
And other people said, I wish I did. You know, I wish I did. I just cut the relationship off while it was developing. I saw that they were having problems drinking. I saw that they were having problems with drugs. I saw this. I chose to ignore it. Just realize that throughout life, ramifications have what we call a domino effect. In fact, I allude to that where I say when you go to people's houses and you see a boat in the garage or whatever and look at the updated tags or if they're not updated and look at the condition of the boat or the RV and see if they have updated tags. When was the last time you used it? This is a sign of impulsive. Impulsivity does occur younger. We just don't think about it. We see it. We want it. We buy it regardless of the pricing. See a piece of art. How much was it? Is this something you really needed? Did you buy it when you were doing very well in life or did you buy it even when you were struggling? So it tells a lot about the personality to know life has ramifications down the road. And I actually interviewed someone that said that the frontal cortex or the mind that makes rational thinking doesn't fully develop until you're 26. A lot of the decisions that we do that impact the rest of our life happen before 25 because we are still experimenting. We're still learning. We think we're adults. We think that we know how to live life and we make all of these mistakes. But after we're 26, we start thinking, oh, maybe I should not have done that. I should have waited. I should have listened to the advice. But it's really hard because a lot of us want to grow up as fast as we can, skip all of the steps. But those steps are there for a reason and they help build a strong foundation. So when you get into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, you can set the rest of your life and be well off without struggling. And that's another angle of it is how decisions were made. How did you make decisions? And that's another good question to ask people. You don't have to do this in an interview process. How do you typically make a decision? Right now, things are good for me and I'm very grateful and humbled on by it. I'm between projects right now. And I'm the one who says, let's hold off. Don't have to buy something unless you want to. As I mentioned in my book, I like cigars. It doesn't mean smoking every day and that doesn't mean getting the best, but I enjoy the camaraderie in there. When we were looking at purchasing something, I said $300, it's not necessarily needed or worth it. Wife, on the other hand, says if it's going to help your business or help your book, splurge, go for it. The mindsets are so completely different, but this is what you marry into or find in a relationship. How do you compromise? How do you have this communication back and forth? And I think that only develops a relationship over time. But as we get into our senior years, we get a little bit more stuck into our protocols, if you will. And this is how to work it out in the book as well. So I believe that was a good reminder and a good recall of what I did and what I would continue doing and maybe what I didn't do. And uh, one of the things that I didn't do, right, is when my wife was in the hospital, I brought my children at the visit. I would not have done that again. I see how it has repercussions down the street, down the road years later with that decision that I made. So everybody has to live with the decisions that they have encountered. One piece of advice that someone told me was that every single day we make decisions based on the facts that we know that day. We can't judge our past selves for making those decisions because we didn't have the tools, the knowledge that we have today. What we can do is learn from that and not make that same mistake in the future. Sometimes it's easier said than done. Oh, <laughs> Definitely, definitely. We're only human. 
And I believe that this, the book I miss, I think that if they really, and the bottom line was that if you really think about it, if you close your eyes, no matter who you meet, somebody is, I, and I've been told the word fugly is a very derogatory term, meaning people are beyond what it is. But if you close your eyes and think about this is a test for anybody and you kiss the person and you receive the hug or you're having an intimate conversation, doesn't you have to be intimate for that matter? You realize that the visual is just that it's skin deep. And so the person may not have the greatest blemishes or whatever. In my case, I've got an Ashkenazi Jewish nose. And the bottom line is give that person a hug and see what it feels like. Just close your eyes. It's free. There's no problem. When I hear people go, they're overweight, they're too skinny, whatever it might be, just visualize it's all free. The conversation, the kisses, the hugs, attraction is a matter of how we define it and how we visualize it. Everybody has a beauty within them. And if we could just simply put that young person aside that they have to be handsome or she has to be beautiful. Everyone, if you take three guys and take them to a bar with three women, everyone's going to see somebody that they're attracted to. And it won't be the same person. The other one is we all are wired for seeing some beauty in a different way. Exactly. I recently learned that you find people more attractive, the more you like their personality. So a lot of us tend to think that our friends and some even our family members are very attractive and we some surprise that they're single because we're like, they're such a great catch. They're such a great person. Why is it that they're so still single? But it's because you've created a connection with them. So your brain automatically escalates the attractiveness because their personality is attracting you in that sense. Mm -hmm. And platonic, but you find them at a higher level. So one big piece of advice somebody told me is if you don't feel a strong connection with someone on the first day, wait until the third day, because at that point you get to really know a little bit more about their personality and you'll be surprised how much more attractive that person will look on the third day than on the first date when you first met them. I'm in total agreement there. The way I word it, and I think we're on the same page on this one, is the person you met initially, regardless of the situation, and the person you meet down the road, two or three months down the road, actually, is not the same person. The people will go, yeah, they are. <laughs> it's the same person. You know, actually, if you look at how they've changed, then you may have met them with makeup, and now they've taken the makeup off because you met them in a formal setting versus a casual setting. They may be dressed in jeans in one case and then put on a dress and all of a sudden their personality change. He may be wearing tennis shoes. Yeah, you can go on down the line, but the person you meet initially, give it a couple dates, give it a couple weeks, a month or whatever, and you'll find out that is not the same person in your mindset. Hopefully they've improved. They've gotten better with wine over time. Perfect. And that's what happened with, with my second wife. It was the same thing. It just got better and better. And sure, her comment to me was, when are we going to get married after two years? I still wasn't at that stage, but I could see that this was a definitely a catch and to change your mindset. Things aren't going to stay forever that way. As we're wrapping up, you demonstrate a lot of unicorn qualities from having a, a very forward mindset, being very open to people. What qualities do some people need to have or can develop to make them a unicorn and help them transform themselves be? the happiest version of themselves. We had a person, a, a celebrity, pass away the other day. His name was Darcel, and he said it himself, and that is, we are all wired different. You may not have said it in those words. He said, we're all different, accept yourself for what it is. 
accept people for who they are. Don't try to change people and don't try to change yourself for another person. They should accept you for who you are and you're a unicorn in your own way. Everybody is. Everybody is unique. Everyone is different. And you shouldn't have to change something. You can compromise for somebody else. And when you see somebody else, they may not be what you expect, but the question then you have to ask yourself is, why do I expect that person to be different? Accept us for what we are, for who we are, and realize the skill set that they can, you can develop from them. And he was who he was for 90 or two years. And again, not somebody that I directly followed, but I think his words were just simply common sense. And I believe that everybody has some unique gift to share with other people, but be open-minded as well. I agree a thousand percent. And every person can bring something and make a change in somebody else. It's free just to be nice. It's free just to accept them for who they are. If they're not impeding your personal life in a negative way, then what's the point? Just let them live their life. You live yours and just be happy. Well said. I think we can't. There's nothing to disagree on here. <laughs> Thank you for letting me talk about I miss hugs, kisses, and conversations. And I'll give you the information later on. Whoever wants to support me and my endeavors and my journey, it's always nice to have people come aboard and simply say, you taught me something. It doesn't mean that they have to agree with you. In fact, sometimes it works even better when they don't agree with you. But my email is joiningscienceandmedicine at gmail. And I encourage people to send me a note saying, thank you. You helped me or I wish you explained this deeper, whatever the case may be. But I appreciate whoever supports my journey. Awesome. And if somebody wants to buy your book, where can they find it? They will be able to get it at Amazon. I know that for a fact. So just look up, I miss hugs, kisses, and conversations, and it will come up. It will be available in soft hardcover as well as ebook. Awesome. So I will actually put it in the show notes so people can just click it and go directly to purchase it. Perfect. I thank you very much. Of course. And thank you so much for being on here and taking the time to have this conversation with me. And for the audience, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a review so that this can get pushed out to many more people. Like I said, click show notes to go ahead and go check out his book. And episodes come out every Friday at 7 a.m. Thank you so much.